0: Welcome to The Word Encounter, episode 230. We are currently in the book of Romans, and we left in chapter 3 yesterday, so let's pick it up in chapter 4. Um, as I warned yesterday, it's the same morning today, um, Romans it can be very, very heady. And so particularly uh, as we go through chapters 4, 5, six, eight, um, it's very, very, uh, it's something that you need to read and read and read and read and marinate on and meditate with, and what not, because Paul can get very deep here, so let's just get started here in verse four or chapter four. it says, "Abraham justified by faith. what then uh, will we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found and so <clears throat> Paul is going through uh, uh, he, again he's sending the letter uh, to the Roman to the Roman believers and the Jewish people really are hung up on their customs and traditions and the law. And so Paul is spending a lot of time with the law, the Mosaic law, the law that um, uh, Moses uh, spoke to the people, gave them the rules to follow and how to live and everything like that. That's the law. And so they are really caught up with the law, observing the law. And so they're having a hard time uh, with this concept of faith versus the law. And so Paul is spending a lot of time here to try to clarify everything, every question they may have. Paul is very, very astute and very good at answering questions before they're asked. And so he's trying to get across the point with regard to where faith stands versus the law. So it says, what then shall we say? Uh, that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. So what has Abraham found about this flesh versus or or this law versus faith thing? In verse two, it says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And so with the law, you have to observe the law. And so uh, when when Paul talks about works, he's talking about doing works in observance of the law. And so trying to be obedient to the law. And so it says if Abraham was justified by works, by what he did, then he would have something to boast about, right? Because it was out of his own strength, out of his own power, out of his own willpower that he would be uh, uh, doing these things to observe God's laws, but not before God. In other words, Abraham would not be able to boast before God. He he would only be able to boast before man. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him for righteousness. In other words, his belief was credit to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift. When you work, you don't, your employer doesn't give you a paycheck as a gift. No, you earned that. You went to work, you earned the paycheck. It was not a gift. It says, uh, now that to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. You are owed the money that you worked for. In verse 5, but to the one who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. In other words, if you believe, there's nothing that you did that, uh, uh, that positioned you to receive the free gift of God. It was from God that he gives you this gift. You didn't do anything to deserve it. He's giving you this gift. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. It's from him. It's all about him. He's giving it to you. And so it says his faith is credited as righteousness. So when you believe in this gift, then your faith is credited to you as righteousness. David's celebrating the same truth. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. And so David is saying, so Paul is telling, uh, is is highlighting, even David is elevating uh, the status of faith. He says, blessed are those whose lawless acts, whose sins are forgiven and whose sins are covered by God. Blessed are those who believe and their sins, therefore, are covered by God and blessed are those because that person has believed God will not hold their sin against them because of their belief, not their works. In verse nine, it says um, Abraham justified before circumcision. And here again, we see that Paul is going to answer a question before it ever comes up. And so it says, is this blessing only for the circumcised then? And so what we see here is that um, the Jews, again, uh, uh, with regard to their vision of circumcision and how that was a sign of them being from the lineage of Abraham. And therefore, all of these things from God are only from them. And so Paul is trying to correct this thinking. He says, is this blessing only for the the circumcised then? Or is it for the uncircumcised as well? For we say faith is credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? And so when when Abraham receives this credit from the Lord, at that point in time when he received it, was he circumcised or not? It says in verse 10, In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal. So the the circumcision kind of sealed the deal, but the deal was already made. He received it. He received this gift from God, this credit of righteousness when he was uncircumcised. And it says, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. And so circumcision is not a prerequisite for acquisition of this righteousness. It says, uh, this was made to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised so that the righteousness may be credited to them also. In other words, to the Gentiles who aren't circumcised, uh, Abraham received this credit of righteousness while he was uncircumcised so that the righteousness may also be credited to those who believe who are not Jewish. The promise granted through faith in verse 13 For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For those who are of the law are heirs. For uh, If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified. In other words, if you are uh, a Jewish, you know, and you are of the law, you're trying to observe the law, you're circumcised and all that. It says if that made you, um, if that ratified you, if that verified you, see, if that made you uh, righteous, then it says then what purpose would faith have? Faith would be empty. Because everything could be fulfilled through the law. Faith would have no purpose. It would be nullified. The promise would be nullified. It says in verse 15, because the law produces wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, this is something that you need to, in my opinion, read and read and read and, and meditate on and meditate on and meditate on. Because it says here, the law produces wrath. What does this mean? That means that the awareness of law, when you're ignorant of the law, then how can you sin how can you transgress i should say how can you transgress if you don't know what the law is and so when a law or rule comes along then you have a standard so if you violate that law or rule now you have transgressed but it says but where there's no law there's no transgression you cannot transgress when there is no law you see so the purpose of the law (laughs) is to bring wrath is to bring punishment for breaking the law That's the whole purpose. The only reason we have laws, speed limits, you know, laws about murder, rape, thieving and whatnot. The only purpose of those things is to try to govern behavior. But if you break those, if you transgress those laws, then you will be punished. This purpose is to bring is to define and bring punishment. That's the purpose of a law. See, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. See. And so you can't, the point here is that you can't be saved by the law. The law can only point out to you things that you're doing wrong, not necessarily how to never do wrong and only do right. In verse 16, this is why the promise is by faith so that it may be according to grace To guarantee uh, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only the one who is of the law, but also the one who is of Abraham's faith. In other words, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles who believe like Abraham believed. It says he is the father of us all. See, the Jews are thinking Abraham is just our father, but Paul is correcting them. No, Abraham is the father of all, those of the circumcision and not the circumcision. The circumcision is not the litmus test. Faith is the litmus test. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. So Paul is pointing out to the Jewish people that, look, even in the word, it says God tells Abraham he's made him the father of many nations, not just the Israelite nation many nations, plural. <clears throat> Verse 18, he believed hoping against hope that he had become so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So, uh, so will your des- uh, descendants be and it says the same goes for you. What went for Abraham, the same thing goes for you. Verse 20, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced because he was fully convinced that what God had promised he, uh, he was also able to do. Therefore, therefore what? Because he was fully convinced, therefore it was credited to him for righteousness because he was fully convinced because he fully believed it was credit to him as righteousness. Now it is credit to him now, uh, now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. The same thing that was credited to Abraham is now credited to us if we believe that our Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. Verse 29, he was delivered up for our, tra- uh, for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If we believe these things, the promises of Abraham also belong to us. Let's go into chapter five. It says faith triumphs. Verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Stop. This is critical. Not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. We also are proud of our afflictions. We also brag about our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. See, if we don't have any obstacles to overcome, then there's nothing that we have to endure and over to overcome it. And so when we have obstacles, there is a byproduct as we overcome those obstacles. That byproduct is faith and confidence in the one that allows us to overcome it and the endurance that it takes to see it through. Because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character. Endurance is like sharpens your character. You see, because if you're going to endure, you got to have something in you. You gotta have some hope, some promise in you that is propelling you to endure. And that is your character. And proven character produces hope. Hope is such a powerful fuel. Hopelessness will lead people to the grave and take other people with them. But when one is filled with hope, it is something that, it's a marvel to witness. Against all odds, hope can just shine forth. Uh, Proven character produces hope. In verse five, this hope will not disappoint us, says the word. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has poured out uh, in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us to justify to reconcile. In verse six, for while there is still helpless, for while we were still ha- helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for just a person. For rarely will someone die for just any old body, is what Paul is saying. For rarely will someone die for just a person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. Okay, but for a good person, well, maybe somebody might die. Verse 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still wretched, Christ died for us, and so some people may die for good people, but the Lord died for all of us in all of our wretchedness. How much more then, since we have now been justified by His blood, will we be saved? Will we be saved through? Uh, will be saved through Him from wrath? And so, if if the Lord will uh, die for the most wretched of us. Then how much more the word says? Now that we have recognized who we uh, who He is, now that uh, we have been justified by His blood, see, uh, we recognize the purpose of the bloodshed on the cross. You know, we 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 merge with it, if you will, we identify with it, and therefore we become justified. He says, now that we are justified, we will be saved through Him from wrath. See, he died for us when we were in our wretchedness, but now that we're no longer wretched, then we will be saved through him from wrath. In verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And so when we identify with the death of Christ, we'll get into that a little bit more, but when we identify with the death of Christ, The word says, then how much more, having been reconciled because we identify with that death, will we be saved by his life? Will we be saved because of his resurrection? Man, this is deep. Anyway, it says death through Adam and life through Christ in, in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, In this way, death spread uh, through all people. So uh, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread through all people because all sin. This is talking about Adam, the first Adam, Adam and Eve. And so sin entered the world because Adam ignored God and he sinned. He ate up the tree when God told him not to. So sin entered the world and then death came into the world through sin. The initial purposes of man was to be eternal. But when Adam sinned, death entered into the world. OK, and from uh, from Adam's sin, death in, into the world and it spread to all the people because of all sin. And so all sin. OK, in verse 13, in fact, sin was in the world before the law. So before uh, 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 God gave Moses the laws, sin was in the world. Sin came in the world through Adam. This is long, long before Moses. It says, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. See, so there is no law, so therefore there can be no transgression. And so that transgression does not go on a person's ledger, if you will, or on their account. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did, not, uh, who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. And so death reigned, even though those people didn't sin like Adam, those people didn't uh, disobey God directly. You see, God gave Adam a direct command, and he, he ignored it. He transgressed, and it says, uh, so sin came into the world, but because these other people weren't Adam, they didn't sin like Adam did. Death still came on them. It says he is, the type, uh, he is the type of the one to come. The one to come that's being referred to here, it says Adam is the type of the one coming. That's where Adam was the first Adam, and then Jesus is the second Adam. See, through, through the first Adam, death came. Through the second Adam, life comes. Then it says in verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass for if by one man's trespass and many died, how much more, how much more have the grace of God and the gift, which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ overflowed to many. In other words, if death came in through the first Adam because of his transgression, then it says, how much more will life come into the world? see, uh, and have the grace of God and the gift, which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ overflowed to many. And so if death came into the world and through Adam and hit everybody, how much more will life come into the world through those who acknowledge Jesus? Then it says in verse 16, and the gift is not like the one man's sin because from, um, from one sin came judgment resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Okay, let me read this in another translation because it, it, uh, I think it bodes well to do that. Let's go to the Passion Translation. In verse 16, it says, And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. So this free-flowing gift from Jesus imparts uh, to us much more. Than death that was given to us through Adam, for because of uh, for because of one transgression we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free from many. Uh, uh, let me see. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with the words "not guilty." go back to the Christian standard here. It says, if by one man's trespass uh, death reigned through that one man, if by Adam's trespass trespass, and death reigned on earth because of Adam, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Jesus is greater than Adam. If death came into the world through Adam, but life through Jesus, then life should reign and does reign much, much, much more than what Adam brought into the scene. So then, as through the one trespass, there is a condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. So just as uh, death came in through Adam, life comes in through Jesus. For just as one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. So also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Uh. Verse 20, the law came to, uh, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more grace. I keep saying grace. What does this mean? Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God. So let's read that again. The law came, uh, along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, the free and unmerited grace of God multiplied even more. It's free and it's unmerited because we don't deserve it. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace, so also the free and unmerited grace of God will reign through righteousness resulting in eternal life through jesus christ our lord let's go on to chapter six we're going to get really deep here (laughs) the new life in christ what should we say then should we uh, continue to sin so that grace may multiply and so uh, paul is addressing it because if you read the other things it makes it seem like that sin is a good thing because grace is multiplied in the presence of sin so therefore if we sin more we should get more grace right so, Paul is addressing that. What should we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, that doesn't mean still conduct it because we all sin, we all continue to sin. But it says, How can we um, who died to sin, when we identify with Christ's death, we are dying to sin? It says, How can we still live in it? How can we still wrap ourselves in it? How can we still envelop ourselves with it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. In other words, when Christ died, when we identify with his death, we identify with our death. Our death meaning death to the selfish and and sinful things of this world says, in order that just as Christ who was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. And so we identify, excuse me, with Christ's death, but also with his resurrection. In other words, we recognize that in Christ, we take off all of those sinful clothes, all of that, that nastiness and, 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 and thinking and whatnot. And when he was arisen, then we rise too with a new nature. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. See? In the likeness of his resurrection. We will be like a new creature in Christ. We will not be like our old self. If we truly identify with Christ's death and his resurrection, then we die, and when, we resurrect, when we're resurrected, we're resurrected with a new nature, a new character. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. We may no longer be controlled by sin. We may no longer be guided by sin. We may no longer be led around by the nose by sin. Verse seven, since a person who has died is freed from sin. When you're dead, you can't sin, right? (laughs) When you're dead, you can't sin. And so, likewise, when you die in Christ, that sin nature dies with Christ. When you're resurrected, you're resurrected into righteousness. Verse 8. Now, if we uh, died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. In other words, that we're also resurrected with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. Death no longer has sway with him. Death no longer controls him because he's already died. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. When we think about death, we're just thinking about physical death, right? But Jesus died, the death Jesus died, the painful death he died was to die to sin. So when he died, he took all of man's nature, all of his sin nature with him. And that died. So you, too, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, you, too, like Christ, know that you have died to your sins, but you're alive in Jesus. In verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, uh, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness. You see, or I should say, I think I said that wrong. Do not let any parts uh, of do not let any parts of your do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. And the, the, the wording is interesting. Weapons. A weapon of a weapon of unrighteousness or a weapon of righteousness. Verse 14. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. See? Following the law will not allow you to, to live a sinless life. Only faith through grace will allow you to do that. From slaves, to, uh, from, slaves, no, from slaves of sin to slaves of God. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey, either of sin leading to death, uh, or of obedience leading to a righteousness. You're, you're, gonna, you're a slave. You're going to be a slave one way or the other. You're either going to be a slave to sin or a slave to obedience, one or the other. To sin is going to lead to death. To obedience is going to lead to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart, you believed in your heart, that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over, the gospel, the gospel, and having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. You became a slave of all that is right. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to uh, to righteousness. So when you're a slave of sin, you didn't even really have any recognition or recollection of righteousness. You were free from that. <laughs> so what fruit was pro- uh, produced from that? Then from the things... Uh, You are now ashamed of. Let's see. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? In other words, when you were in sin, what fruit did that produce? Those things that you're now ashamed of. The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I hope you can see and and, and I implore you to reread these chapters in in, in Romans because Paul is really trying to hammer home and we still have vestiges of this today with this works versus faith thing in our head. You see, people think that they can work their way into heaven. All they have to do is be good. But you can't be good. You can't. In and of and by yourself. Only through God, only through God's grace, can you be sanctified, set apart, and eligible for entrance into the kingdom of God through recognition, uh, through recognition of who Jesus is. That's the only way it can happen. With that, we are done for the day. We'll pick things up in Romans chapter 7 tomorrow. Uh, the invitation and the proposition is always going forth. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, the word says that you shall be saved. And we're going to get to that word in a couple of days. Everybody take care. Stay safe. Stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and should his grace grace us. We will see you tomorrow for the next encounter of the word encounter. Bye bye.